0: So um, uh, uh, we're going to transition um, uh, to recognize a special day. On Friday, uh, March 31st, is the Day of uh, Transgender Visibility. And in honor of that, I want to share a statement, which uh, you can also find on our church website. Earlier this year, our board adopted this statement regarding LGBTQ. It comes from the Reconciling Ministries Network. It says this, We celebrate God's gift of diversity and the value, the and value the wholeness made possible in community equally shared and shepherded by all. We welcome and affirm people of every gender identity, gender expression, and sexual orientation who are also of every age, race, ethnicity, physical and mental ability, level of education, and family structure, and of every economic, immigration, marital, and social status, and so much more. We acknowledge that we live in a world of profound social, economic, and political inequalities. As followers of Jesus, we commit ourselves to the pursuit of justice and pledge to stand in solidarity with all who are marginalized and oppressed. So you can, you can find that uh, statement on the website. Uh, and being marginal and oppressed is something many people who uh, have who live uh, in our world, especially trans people. Accelerating really in 2021 and every year since, there have been a record number of anti-transgender legislation proposed and passed across the country. In 2023, anti-trans bills continue to be introduced across the country to block trans people from receiving basic healthcare, education, legal recognition, and the right to publicly exist. Some of these bills are so absurd that the language actually calls those who support trans youth child abusers and those who provide life-saving, gender-affirming care criminals. Many of the bills target youth, but we're starting to see that expanding to include rights of trans adults to access to healthcare, et cetera. These bills themselves not only directly impact the lives of every transgender person, but it also increases the threat of violence toward them as it fuels hateful rhetoric, particularly using faith as a justification for it all. So on March 31st, we recognize the Day of Trans Visibility, a day dedicated to celebrating transgender people and raising awareness of discrimination faced by transgender people worldwide, as well as a celebration of their contributions to society. And it's this last thing I want to do briefly. I, I had the privilege of uh, getting to know uh, uh, Avery here at uh, Central City Church, and if there's anyone worth celebrating uh, the Contribution society, Avery, uh, Avery, I'm going to introduce here. He's going to share a story. I want, I want to. I, got, I wrote up like a nice formal introduction. I didn't tell him. I didn't tell you this part, Avery. I'm going to embarrass him a little bit right before he shares. So gosh darn it. Avery um, makes our coffee a couple times a month, which is, uh, so thank you for that, if uh, anyone enjoys caffeine. Uh, he also leads our mental health team, so approves the mental health requests that come from our mental health fund, so he's the team leader for that. And as impressive as that is, he's also in the process of defending his PhD, and I had to ask for the specific language here, his dissertation's on suicide among transgender and gender diverse young adults. So you defend that uh, soon, is that like this week. Thursday. Well, we'll be praying for you on Thursday. Uh, even more impressive than all that, Avery is a wonderful human being who loves Jesus, is growing in his faith, and cares about people, and is just an all-around great friend uh, to many of us. And Avery was kind enough to share his story today. And I found that issues can be controversial, but meeting people and hearing their stories helps us garner empathy. So Avery, thanks for sharing with us today. We are I'm going to figure out the mic situation while you're sharing, but uh, if you just want to come up and... Uh, I feel so formal. I've never spoken from this. At Central City Church. I do it when I do the St. Luke service. This is more than you guys want to know. I'm filling time as he comes up. But uh, yeah, if you want to just share from here, and I'm going to get a different mic for myself. Okay.
1: It's a little weird. It is a little weird. I never would have thought that I would be up here, but hello, everyone. I'm Avery. My pronouns are he and him. I've been coming to Central City since about the fall of 2021, which is when we started meeting in this space. Um, Admittedly, though, I didn't really start talking to anyone until much later. Part of that is because I'm not much of a talker at first and part of that is also because I was really nervous to come into a new faith community not knowing whether or not I'd be accepted. So like Joe said, um, I'm transgender, which means that the sex assigned to me at birth is female and I didn't come to really understand or acknowledge my gender identity or physically transition until my early 20s. So I lived uh, my whole childhood being perceived as female. Interestingly, my journey with faith parallels my journey with understanding myself and my gender, and I don't really think that that's much of a coincidence. I didn't grow up in the church, but as a young kid I went to Catholic mass and Sunday school to some extent until my first communion. And then at that point my parents let my brother and I decide what we wanted to do, which I think is pretty cool. Um, But the messages that I was receiving back then were essentially that God would punish you if you did this or thought that. And so when given the choice, I was glad to step away from that sort of uncomfortable environment and having those fears, really. In elementary school, I didn't think much of a religion at all, and I was just trying to be myself, which looked like peak tomboyishness for a kid who was perceived as a girl. But then in middle school, Um, You know, puberty rolls around, kids start having crushes on each other. And I became very self-conscious and felt that I had to act and be feminine, not only to fit in, but to be likable. And so I did. And interestingly, around this time, I started getting back into church. I would go with some of my friends' families on Sunday mornings, and I got involved in Young Life. uh, And I found belonging there. I fully believed in the messages of God's love and his intention for us to be good and those quieter messages of exclusionary love I completely ignored and shoved away with any feelings of being different. It wasn't until halfway through my freshman year at college that I let myself really start to look inward and ask who I am. And interestingly, when I started to do that, I stopped attending youth group on campus. For me, I came to understand my sexuality first, which at the time being perceived as a girl meant coming out as gay. Um, And in the process of coming out, uh, there were several challenges with that. um, And one of those was related to faith. I became very angry and hurt and felt almost betrayed by the church. Um, And honestly was probably still fearful that if I fully faced the church community, that that rejection would make me believe that I actually was the problem. So anyways, the next number of years, I continued to struggle with feeling ambiguously uns- unsettled myself. Um, coming out didn't solve everything for me, and I had a lot of questions around that. Um, and then I also had these unpleasant dead ends with faith. It wasn't until nursing school, when I was in a new place, I had started th- seeing a therapist for the first time and began unpacking my gender and understanding it, that I even wanted to reach back out to a church community and to find one. Luckily, after bouncing around a little bit, I did find an affirming church, and that changed everything for me. Those two things falling into place, figuring out my gender and finding a safe church felt like the missing, missing pieces. So since then, I've moved to Ohio. I've been here for not, about six years now. Um, I've obviously physically transitioned, and I ran into some challenges, again, finding an affirming church, but luckily I landed here among all of you. And this is the first church home that I have felt truly safe and confident enough and myself enough to deconstruct and reconstruct my faith. And for that, I'm endlessly grateful for this community. A couple of quick things I wanna mention before I end. Um, I'm not sharing this, and I don't mean this to sound stark, but I'm not sharing this about myself because I think that everyone is entitled to know that I'm trans. Just like I imagine you wouldn't think that we're entitled to know about your personal health history. But not all trans people can, based on safety, um, or are willing to share about their truth. And uh, in today's world, it's important for those of us that are willing and that can. Um, We do share, and we are visible, because there are people out there that are denying our existence and our livelihood as humans. I'm really thankful to Joe for wanting to recognize Trans Day of Visibility, and I wanna also acknowledge that my story is just one, As a white man, a Christian, someone whose family stuck with him through all of this, I have a lot of privilege. There is no right or wrong way to be trans. We have a lot of diversity within our community. So I'm more than happy to share my experience and my journey, but please know it is just one. And with that, thank you for listening and making up a loving community that has helped me heal and strengthen my relationship with Christ.
0: that from that very intimidating lectern. Um, Let's pray. God, we ask that you would grant us a vision of your world as your love would have it, a world where the, the weak are protected and none go hungry or poor, a world where the riches of creation are shared and everyone can enjoy them a world where different races and cultures live in harmony and mutual respect, a world where peace is built with justice, and justice is guided by love. Give us the inspiration and courage to build that world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We are continuing our series on Jesus' emotions. Um, So far, we've talked about Jesus when he was exhausted. Uh, Jesus' joy, uh, Jesus' anger, indignation, Jesus' grief. Thanks, Delaney, for sharing that. She's down in the nursery today. Uh, And today, we're going to talk about... Jesus being overwhelmed, anxious, maybe even a little depressed. So, so here's the story. Um, this, this series works really good because we're looking at Jesus' emotions. But as we get closer to Easter, our story is moving in that direction. And so we're looking at a story today, the night before Jesus is arrested. So if you're not familiar with the story of Jesus, as I'm sure many of you are, um, he's, he, he engages in ministry. Most of it is in the northern area of Galilee. There was a lot of fear that it, in Judea, where Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the capital. of Judaism that uh, his teachings were so radical that he would be in trouble. They, they, his disciples even worried that he's like, "Hey, don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to stone you. They're going to kill you." That's how angry they are with you. But but his ministry ends up in Jerusalem and he shows up. He overturns some tables. We looked at that story and uh, he spends around a week or so, what we call Holy Week, engaging in the temple and with people. And there's a variety of things that happen. But um, on, uh, on on Thursday night he um he gathers with his disciples he breaks bread with them and drinks wine with them offers this new sign of a new covenant the communion we're going to share that together next week um, and then that that kind of that happens and judas you've probably heard that name before judas is going to sell jesus out and uh, Judas leaves, and Jesus and a few of his other disciples go, and in a couple of the accounts, he ends up in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he spends some time late at night in prayer. By the end of this story, he'll be arrested, and from there, he goes on trial. He's beaten. He's eventually hung on the cross, capital punishment, but at this point, he's in this garden. It's late at night, and he's distressed. Because he kind of knows what's happening. So we're going to read that. We're going to read it out of Matthew. We'll be referencing a few of the other accounts as well. But in Matthew 26, you can follow along online, uh, along if you want on your phone or in the Bibles in your pew, but it'll also be on the screen. Matthew 26, starting with verse 36. Here's what it says. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I want to spend a few moments reflecting on these emotions. I mean, the scriptures tell us kind of what Jesus is feeling. So let's dig into a little bit. I'm going to offer some definitions. These are some definitions from the Greek words in this particular passage. The first one here is sorrow. Um, sorrow means uh, to experience deep emotional pain, sadness, Severe sorrow or grief, very intense sorrow and pain, to the point that in Genesis 3.16 in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's used to describe childbirth, okay? I've never given birth before. A few of you have, I'm assuming. I hear it's unpleasant, yeah, fair. Deep ah, pain deep sorrow. Um, the next word he uses here to describe Jesus' emotions is that he's troubled. Um, it means a fear or a lack of courage uh, to be distressed or troubled. And I thought that was very interesting because they, the translations usually choose the word troubled here, but it can also mean fear. And then the idea that Jesus would be afraid is very interesting to me, but this deep fear. Um, in, in Mark's version of this story, he uses a different word. So we're going to look at that word as well as we explore these emotions of Jesus. Uh, in Mark's version, they use a word that means deeply distressed. And, and this is an interesting way to translate it uh, because it means uh, out from, it's from a word that means out from and to, to be astonished. Properly, it's out of one's senses with the outcome of being amazed to the level of wonder. I am greatly astonished and Awestruck. All right. Now, it's kind of crazy to think that awestruck gets translated as deeply distressed. Um, He was in awe, and usually awe is a good thing. But you have to realize not all surprises are good. You might think of it kind of like shock. He was in shock. It was that overwhelming. Deep, deep pain, grief, fear, losing a sense of reality, shock and awe, deep, deep pain and anxiety. He was overwhelmed with these thoughts, and did you notice this? To the point of death. Did you see that? My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Even to the point of death. (sighs) Get into some muddy waters here this morning. What do you think that means? Is it, do you, does, does it in a way mean that Jesus was suicidal? Not, not, not that he had a plan or wanted to hurt himself, but that he would have maybe at this moment preferred not to be alive. I mean, isn't that what that means? That he just didn't want to keep going. I, I was talking to a medical professional, and there's a word for this. It's called passive suicidal ideation. It, the, the quote here, if you look it up, is the desire to die without a plan to reach that result. You, know, you just don't want to be alive anymore. Jesus didn't want to, he's like, I, I, he felt such deep pain. He's like, this would be great if, if something happened and I have to go through this. Just think about that for a second. This is deeply profound. The one who came to bring us abundant life, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who is the living word, didn't want to be alive anymore. Whew. In this moment, with these really hard feelings, the anxiety, and the pain, it's just too overwhelming. And so I want you to hear this, given this testimony of Jesus. You know, longing for death or struggling with suicidal ideation, it doesn't make you a bad person. And it doesn't mean that you don't have value. When Jesus was in one of his lowest moments, he wanted to give up. He didn't, but he wanted to, according to scripture. So I wanna pause and just name that. If you've ever struggled with wanting to give up on your life, hear me out. We love you. I was talking to Avery about this earlier, because his PhD is on suicide in the trans community. (coughs) Summary. You are loved. You are not alone. Jesus knows what you're feeling, which is deeply profound. You don't have to be ashamed that you felt that way and I really encourage you to get help. So I want you to know two very easy resources, 988 is just three, three numbers you can dial to reach the suicide and crisis lifeline. If you're ever feeling this way or if you know someone who is, the likelihood that you know somebody who's been suicidal in your life is high. So just 988, suicide. And then also at our church, we do have a mental health fund, as I mentioned earlier, that if you are interested in seeing a therapist or a counselor, we'll cover the first couple sessions to get you started. So this is how Jesus handles this issue. He's he's despair, he's sorrowful, he's he's feeling just the lowest that he's ever felt. Here's what happens. So he goes a little further, uh, verse 39. Going a little further, so he kind of separates himself even more. So first he separates himself from all of his disciples, and he brings a few of them with him, and then he goes a little bit further. So now he's really alone. He fell on his face. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from you, yet not as I will. But as you will. I don't want to belittle this or make it sound the wrong way, but Jesus is feeling despair and he goes to God in prayer. Not not that he could just pray it away, I'm not saying that, but there is great comfort to be found in God. And, And Jesus is not afraid to be honest with his Father about what he wants. Isn't that great? He's like, hey, God, I'm not sure I want to do this. (laughs) It's almost like he's bargaining with God. Jesus is even willing, to be honest, that he's not always on board with the things that he has to do, the hard stuff that God calls him to. He's like, hey, God, if it's your will, you know, this would be great if I didn't have to do this. And he's not afraid. So deep pain, I think, often pushes us to deep honesty. And, and, And here's what I want to promise you. God can handle it. God's not afraid of what you have to bring. So he's trying to find a way. He's bargaining with God, which often happens. The the thought of what's going to happen tomorrow to Jesus is over. Here's here's what he already knows. He's already figured out that one of his disciples has sold him out. And I'm here to tell you, betrayal is one of the hard emotions. Feeling betrayed by someone you're close to, that you love, that's hard. He already knows it. He's already figured out that one of his disciples, he's already told him, he's like, hey, one of you is going to betray me. He's dealing with that betrayal. Uh, He can expect that he'll be uh, put on trial. Here's some of the things that he can expect. Even if he wasn't God and knew the future, he could expect that he'll be put on trial, most likely beaten. He could even be killed, capital punishment. He had been expecting this for a while. They were worried that when he went to Jerusalem, this is what would happen. So at this point, he knew that something bad was going to happen. And the fear of that, the overwhelming fear of that was too much. Jesus to bear. So I wanna step back and I'm just gonna offer some, just three not really profound, but hopefully helpful points on these big emotions, on these really hard emotions. And, and here's the first one that I see. Anticipation multiplies anxiety. Oftentimes, the thing that you're anxious about is, in Jesus' case, okay, so this doesn't work great because what Jesus was going to experience is actually pretty horrible. But oftentimes, what we're afraid of happening isn't actually as bad as the anxiety we feel. The fear of what will happen sometimes is worse than what we fear. Now, in Jesus' case, that wasn't the case. But even then, what's interesting is when you you look at Jesus the day before he's arrested and the day of he's arrested, man, Jesus' anxiety seems a lot higher right here than when it's actually happening. So in many cases, the anticipation is way worse than the actual event. I'm going to give you a terrible illustration of this. Do not compare this to Jesus' passion narrative, but it's all I got. This is my passion narrative. So forgive me. We're holding a, a meeting, a vision gathering, and if you didn't get an invite, I, I want you to know that you're invited. Just let me know, and I, 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 we try to get everyone, but you know, it doesn't always work out that way. And I made a commitment uh, with this vision gathering to, uh, to, to call almost everyone on this invite list. Who here loves calling people on the phone? <laughs> None of you raised your hand. <laughs> I, uh, I, get, I, have, I struggle with anxiety, you know? And I worked myself up so much over these phone calls, um, so much so that I kept pushing it off, and I was texting Alyssa the day I was finally gonna do it. I'm a little embarrassed sharing this with you guys, especially since, I'm like, once again, don't compare this to Jesus, it's nothing. But it's just an example. I was so worked up, and, and Alyssa was texting me back and forth, and she said something really helpful. She said, um, you know, uh, um, it's the rule of inertia. You just have to keep going. One of the things Alyssa often talks about is uh, all you need is 30 seconds of courage and then you just start doing it. But I had worked myself, the anticip- once I actually started calling people, very pleasant experience. Because mostly voicemails and then everyone who answered, very nice people, it turns out but the anticipation multiplies anxiety so that's something that we got to think about if you struggle with anxiety oftentimes we're not the anxiety can be multiplied by anticipation and we have to remind ourselves that a lot of times when we just when we do it when we engage it it's going to be all right. So here's how, Jesus, here's how anxious Jesus was. Um, Luke's version of the story paints an even grimmer picture. He tells the story a little bit differently, but here's Luke's version. I'll read it real quickly. He said, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. So very, very similar. He says, Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So very similar. And the angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So I, well, you don't, we don't necessarily think that he's, you know, there's like stuff that's like he actually sweat drops of blood. I, I, most people don't think that. I, well, I don't want to speak for most people. But I did read this one quote from Justin Martyr, who was written in you know, 150. He, he wrote four in the memoirs, which I say were drawn up by his apostles and, and those who followed him. It is recorded that his sweat fell down like drops of blood while he was praying and saying, if it's possible, at this cup passed by me. One thing you have to understand, I'm going to just offer some biblical exegesis here, um, is that sweat and blood were images used to describe a suffering servant, someone who is in deep distress. These are the type of sweat and blood. Um, you can see it in Maccabees. I'm not going to share this quote for you, but there's a couple places where it talks about sweat and blood. If you want to imagine someone who's really, really hurting, it's usually in these images of sweat and blood because they're being beat. or being, And that's what we're supposed to conjure when it says that his, he's sweating like drops of blood so here's the big takeaway from all this anxiety and fear and distress has a physical impact on your body it did for jesus it will for you as well anxiety has physical symptoms i'm not an expert on this but i did a little bit of a research i don't know where it is yeah it's right there this is alan everyone he doesn't hear well or speak, but he's a great guy. And he loves his picture being taken if you don't know him. But you don't have to either. You can say no. Um, here's some of the impacts that anxiety has on your body. Uh, rapid breathing or heart rate, light lightheadedness or dizziness, abdominal pain, indigestion, chest pain, fatigue, insomnia, headache, these types of symptoms. Re- research shows that, that, that overreacting, constantly worrying, and living in a state of perpetual anxiety can actually even reduce your life expectancy, which, <clears throat> bad news for me. Um, but here, here's, what I, here's what's crazy. When God came to us as a human and faced deep distress, he got to feel anxiety's impact on his body. His body was overheating. If you've ever been anxious, this is a common symptom. You get really hot, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm overheating. You start sweating, you're like, oh, what is going on here? Jesus, God in the flesh, experienced that. And we can only imagine some of the other physical reactions he had. So um, uh, going on, verse 40, uh, it says, then he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Jesus is experiencing this intense emotion. To the point of his body reacting to his anxiety, and he turned to his disciples who were just down there a little bit, and he's like, "Oh, they were asleep." And he goes, "Couldn't you men keep watch with me for just one hour?" He asked Peter, "Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak." They couldn't stay with him. He is. A, he, and here's what we mean here: He's a, he's a potentially experiencing the worst day of his life, and his disciples seem to be. Going through life like normal, it's time to sleep. And you know what? That's normal. Here's here's number three on dealing with hard emotions. Hard emotions tend to isolate us. When you're really in the thick of it, it will feel like nobody else understands, why? Because you're experiencing this deep pain and they're just like operating, you know, they're not. They're not experiencing it, so they go to bed on time and you're up all night with insomnia or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, they go, people, the rest of the world keeps going on when you're like, I don't think I'm gonna survive the day. And so it makes us feel really isolated. Think about it like this. When Jesus was born, he was given the prophetic nickname Emmanuel, which means God with, God with us. Jesus was the very presence of God amongst us, that God would show up as one of us. And the one who made God real to us here And Jesus' anxiety was longing for human companionship the one who came to show us what it looked like for god to be a companion to us is now longing for it himself when we need community the most is often when community is the hardest when we need it the most it's often the hardest because here's the thing you need people to sit with you in your suffering to understand your suffering And that's hard to do. Humans are not always good at this. Some humans might be better than others. But but all of us fall short. We want to be there for people who are really hurting, but we're not always able to show up in the best ways. I think that's what Jesus says. You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I, I want to be there for people who are hurting, but I'm not always good at it. or I don't show up at the right time. I don't say the right thing. And so we sometimes don't live up to what people need from us. And that can make those who suffer feel truly alone. But this is why I think Jesus prayed. Because humans will fall short. I believe God never will. That God will never leave you. No matter what. No matter how alone you feel. You are never alone with God. So, so Jesus leans into prayer. Look what happens next. Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drank it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping. Because their eyes were heavy. They're tired. I love that, you know, like the scripture's like, well, in our defense, <laughs> it was really late. So he left them. Didn't, you know, wake them up this time. He's like, I'm going to let him sleep. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then verse 45, then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Oh, look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man has delivered it to the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Imagine what's happening here. His disciples can't stay awake during a time when he's really hurting. And on top of it all, one of his disciples just sold him over to the religious rulers. One of the people closest to him betrayed him. I want to pause and reflect on some of the emotions that Jesus might have been feeling as we've read the whole story here. Um, look at all the things Jesus might have been feeling up to this moment. Uh, I want to put the feelings wheel up on the screen. And um, uh, if you didn't get one, there are just a few left. But we passed these out at the beginning of the sermon series. And uh, let's go back to the beginning of the passage and start with the, uh, with the fearful section. So the feelings wheel looks like this. You can put that screen up. And here's what we saw Jesus feeling in this yellow section um, right at the beginning. We, he talked about being anxious, fearful, overwhelmed. So those are some of the emotions. But we also know that he was astonished, uh, which might often be a positive emotion, but not all surprises are good, as I said. He's surprised, he's in shock about how hard this is, so that's in the, the purple uh, category. But we also know that he felt these things all the way to the point of death. He didn't, he didn't want to keep on living with these emotions, so he felt uh, probably grief and despair. Uh, he seemed depressed. He might have felt alone or isolated. But not just that, we know that he was betrayed and he was let down, which is in the red section under angry, by people who are close to them. And while he longed for companionship, he went off by himself, withdrawn, maybe distancing himself from others. So there's actually, as you look at this feelings wheel and you can reflect on this really intense moment for Jesus, there's actually a few other emotions as I was looking at this morning that you could put on there. Um, but let's zoom out for just these and see what Jesus might have been feeling at this moment. Here's all the different emotions Jesus might have been feeling. Can I just say, I have a lot of feelings. Here's what I know about these types of feelings and having a lot of them at once. The more you have... <laughs> the more that seem to come along, it, it, it escalates. And that's what usually happens. When you start feeling all of these things at once, and yes, you can feel more than one thing at once, uh, it starts to escalate. And, but here, here's the two big takeaways I want you, to, want you to get from this. The first thing is, um, it's okay to feel these things. It's okay traditional Christian doctrine would say that, that Jesus uh, experienced what we experienced but never sinned. That's kind of how that's said. Jesus experienced these emotions. Didn't make him a bad guy. Didn't make him a bad person. It's okay to feel these emotions. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to feel lonely. It's okay to be afraid and overwhelmed. It's okay to feel let down. It's okay to feel isolated. It's okay to have grief. It's okay to despair. It's okay. Doesn't make you a bad person. That's the first thing I want you to hear. So if you can't, if that's where you're at, just stay there. I'm going to offer one more thought, though, for the rest of us. I encourage you, you don't need these feelings to control what you do. It's okay to feel them. They don't need to control what you do. What I love about this story is Jesus went away to pray, and, and, and he got some time alone. And, and for Jesus, and for probably many of us, he was able to cool off. He came back and, and clearly still wasn't feeling the way he wanted. He went, he went and he's like, you know, if, if there's something you do to kind of cool off, you gotta keep doing it until it works. So Jesus is like, I'm gonna pray once, and then he goes back and does it again, and then third time, you know, like he just keeps engaging in practices that are really healthy. And uh, so he went away. Three times he did this. He wanted to cool off to get his space, maybe to get his equilibrium back. He did what he had to calm down. It's okay to feel what you're feeling, but emotional maturity is knowing the things you need to help you remain in control of yourself so that your emotions don't compromise your integrity. That's the hope. Emotional maturity is feeling what you feel, but remaining in control, self-discipline, so that your emotions don't compromise your integrity. Let me show you what I mean. Let's look at what Jesus does next. Verse 47. So he's talking. He's literally saying this to disciples. Here comes my betrayer. You must have been able to see him off in the distance. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, Do what you came for. Just as a side note, not everyone who shows affection to Jesus is uh, in line with Jesus. So just think of that. You know, he kissed Jesus, but not for the right reason. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached out his sword, drew it, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Let's pause there for a second. Imagine Jesus. And, and his emotions. Imagine if Jesus's emotions were making his decisions at this moment. If his emotions were driving, you know, in, we're in the driving chair. He was maybe anxious and depressed. You know, if you're anxious and depressed, you might not say anything. He might he might just be disappointed in his disciples. He might might have felt betrayed, maybe even resentful. So so he would think that the you know that soldier got what they deserved, or he might be overwhelmed and shocked, so he froze, or he might boil over and start fighting alongside. And then imagine if Jesus had encouraged that kind of violence. And it was like, yeah, let's get them. And then like all the disciples, I mean, it would have been a madhouse. And who knows who would have died. Here's what Jesus actually does. 52. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. With everything that's escalated, all of Jesus' emotions and tensions and struggle and violence and the betrayal, Jesus stepped back, maybe leaned into his faith. I'm not sure. But he he lived into what he believed was best, which he had taught, right? Living what he taught, that's integrity. And he had taught, love your enemies. And he leaned into that. I think that's what emotional maturity looks like. You could feel all of the things, but you've done the work to stay cool in the midst of a crisis. You don't let your emotions compromise your integrity. Jesus taught, love your enemies. But if he was ever to fall short of that teaching, it would be here. And there was every reason why he should fall short. I would have. If you're honest, you probably would have too. Feeling all of those things, being up all night, sleep deprived, worried, afraid. And then they come to arrest you and people want to defend you. Like, gosh. But being the amazing person that he is, he, he, um, he kept his cool so much so that he used the crisis as a teaching opportunity. <laughs> You know, hey, hey! Don't, those who live by the sword die by the sword. I hope to be like this someday. When I say I follow Jesus, I mean I want to be more like Jesus. And here's a good example of what I want to be more like. Here's an example of, of I think of how Jesus is saving me. So that when I'm feeling all the big emotions, my child is frustrating me, my partner misunderstands me, or my boss is driving me crazy, or my friends won't call me back, or it feels like the world is against me and it would be better if I just didn't keep trying and I feel depressed or alone or afraid and the emotions are escalating. With Jesus' help and Jesus' example, I know that I can do what I need to to calm down when faced with a crisis and I can respond with integrity. I can put the sword down. when you're feeling big emotions you want to pick the sword up put the sword down everyone let's calm down it's okay I want to be like that someday I think that's emotional maturity and that's the goal and I hope that's the goal for you too and I and I want to add that I'm so glad that God gives me and you grace as we grow towards that amen amen let's pray God we come before you and we give thanks that you are able to sympathize with our weaknesses it's so refreshing to know that you felt some of the hard stuff that some of us have felt and that you've given us an example of what it looks like to love people in the midst of that. God, you're able to take some of the most difficult situations, some of the biggest and hardest emotions and do something beautiful with it. So Lord, give us grace when we fall short and courage to try again. Help us to love one another. Help us to show up in each other's lives when we are hurting, when we are afraid, when we are overwhelmed. Show us the way. It's your name we pray. Amen.